0: Hello and welcome to the All-80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s is my co-host, Jason Massick. Hey, Jason, why would he come in here and kill a guy for a lousy hundred bucks on a
1: radio? Because he likes it, Bill. He sees something he wants, he steals it. Something gets in his way, he kills it. And right now, he's hiding out in your city.
0: That's right, listeners. Today, we'll be discussing the 1987 sci-fi thriller, The Hidden, starring Kyle McLaughlin, Michael Norrie, and Claudia Christian. Directed by Jack Shoulder, this movie is rated R with a running time of 1 hour and 37 minutes. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, Would find this
1: description on the back of the VHS box. It is what's on the box. Take it away, Jason. Something hideous is changing law abiding citizens into monstrous, hyper violent psychopaths. Now, only Kyle McLaughlin and Michael Nuri can halt the horrifying rampage of the hidden. A series of bizarre, inexplicable robberies and murders have left LA police detective Tom Beck, Michael Nuri, totally baffled. And it doesn't help when mysterious FBI agent Lloyd Gallagher, Kyle McLaughlin, tells him that a demonic, extraterrestrial creature is invading the bodies of innocent victims and transforming them into inhuman killers with an unearthly fondness for heavy metal music, red Ferraris, and unspeakable violence. It's a spine-chilling, high-velocity sci-fi thriller from the makers of A Nightmare on Elm Street the hidden ah bill bands gone are the days when i could walk into a strip club with a bag full of automatic weapons have a beer bleed all over the bar and no one would notice i miss the 80s man
0: yep good old days yeah yeah uh so that was what's on the box uh let's move on to our earliest memories of this film jason
1: as always start us off absolutely Good evening, Bill Bant. It's good to be here with you to discuss this 80s true cult classic, The Hidden from 1987. Man, I just, I remember heavily suggesting this film and I'm glad I did because this was a blast. This was definitely a cable watch for me, most likely in the early 90s. So that would have been kind of, you know, later high school or mid high school into maybe early college. But uh, I did not see it in the theater. I was definitely a Kyle MacLachlan fan. Now, I saw these movies probably in a mixed up order, not in a row as they were released. But I had seen most of Dune, I think, at this point. Uh, You know, I, I had never, you know what? Admission, embarrassing admission. I've never seen Blue Velvet. I was a Twin Peaks fan. Go yeah, ahead. No, no one can see the fact I'm shaking my head. now, but yeah. that's okay. It's <laughs> okay. And definitely a Twin Peaks fan. Now that's something I watched a lot in college. So okay, uh, I, was, I never saw a Twin Peaks. So okay, so okay, we're even then.
0: Yeah, we even. Yeah, For we sure. even each other's out right now.
1: But clearly, what was I going to say? Uh, Sorry, i didn't have of, to throw it out by the no, mid- no, admission. No, no, I'm just like I'm so embarrassed still by the fact that I haven't seen Blue Velvet. But uh, why the director's name is escaping David Lynch. Yep. Cobb McLaughlin was a David Lynch guy. I mean, yep. uh, that's three big projects that they had worked on together. But earliest memory of this film was definitely Cobb McLaughlin's understated performance. I remember that. He was eerily calm. He was just kind of eerie. Kind of had a soothing presence at times. He's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of this movie. So definitely the earliest memory. This may have been the first seemingly straightforward buddy cop slash sci-fi mashup I had seen because I had become now a fan of buddy cop films, but you put the sci-fi genre in there as well. I think that this may have been now I may ask this question to you later. I'll save it for the questions later. Okay. But there are some films out there and like I could put RoboCop in this particular, specific niche genre of, or I should say cross genre of buddy cop sci-fi. But I think that's, you know, what attracted to me. And I remember this as one of my early memories. Here we got kind of this gritty buddy cop drama slash thriller slash horror film. And it's a sci-fi movie. I was like, yeah, give it to me. I'll take all of it. So uh, definitely remember, of course, the Invasion of the Body Snatchers vibe to this entire movie. Uh, definitely some cheesy effects, but I was still very enamored by the concept of it all. Early memory that sticks with me is the actor Edo Ross. Great character actor. He was in Lethal Weapon, Action Jackson, Red Heat, Another 48 Hours. Uh, he's, he, uh, he's great and this is uh, one of the detectives. And uh, I always have a memory, of course, as, you know, the attractive ladies. This is Claudia Christian who plays Brenda the stripper uh, as the hot girl turned bad in this movie. Because I remember as a kid watching, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, she's hot. She's sexy. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, oh, no, no, not so sexy. You know, I even when I was a kid watching this and I watched it a lot on cable whenever it was on, I always remember this is the type of movie that would be on when I'd be laying sick on the couch and for some reason, that's what I I became engrossed in this film for whatever reason, maybe because I was in this different state of mind and body watching this. It just, it got me. And I remember this being underrated and kind of underseen. Even when I was a kid, I was like, have you guys seen The Hidden? This movie is cool. And nobody had seen it or knew much of it. And the few that had were like, yeah, man, that's a great movie. That still feels like it's the same today. <laughs> I mean, there's there's fans of sci-fi and buddy cop movies, but you put them together and you talk about the hidden. There's people out there like, hell yeah, uh, they're all about this movie. So uh, another early memory would be uh, Kyle MacLachlan's uh, special laser gun. <laughs> I just thought that was cool as a kid. I have a different thought about that particular weapon today. We'll get to that later. Definitely, of course, the creepy sludge, uh, sludge. Yes, kind of like yeah, sludge, sludge, the slug yeah. creature. And then uh, the reveal kind of at the end and a little bit of a sort of a twist and kind of in a strange way cliffhanger ending. I don't know. Uh, definitely bittersweet ending. So th- I always remember that. That stays with me from this film. And yeah, so this, this is a a unique movie in a way that steals so many things from so many other movies. So it's like the most original unoriginal movie in a way, if that makes any sense, but just, there's this weird feeling that it gives me that I, I kind of, I like. So hopefully I'll uh, be a little bit more specific as we go on, but uh, what are your earliest memories of the hidden?
0: All right. Before we get into the earliest memories, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have not seen this movie, so it will be spoilers abound. So we're just going to, throw that out there unfortunately glad you said that uh for me earliest memories i didn't remember that much about this movie when it first came out maybe i saw the trailer on tv but i know i never rented it when it was in the video store it just didn't look appealing to me to be honest and then it wasn't until we got to college and uh, your sweet mate tom mckenzie had rented it and I remember going over to your guys' room, and Tom's like, "Oh, I rented the hidden," and I had no idea what it was. Oh yeah, it's, you know, it's got Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks. I'd never seen Twin Peaks, so that that wasn't <laughs> that, that wasn't helped okay. me at all either. But yeah, I ended up watching it in your room, but you weren't yeah. there, okay?
1: Because
0: it was you and you know, and your suite mates. But you had the TV with the stereo that was tied in to the TV, so you had the better sound. So we'd always watch the movies in your room.
1: Right. And then
0: you would go to the, what do we call it then? Not like the study room. When we were at the University of Miami because there used to be the towers or the, the residential towers people live in. And there right. was like a study room. We would call it the aquarium because it was like a glass. You'd come off the elevator and be like this glass oh, sure. wall and you'd just see everybody in there. So we would just call it the aquarium.
1: Right. Whereas in your dorm, right. I was in Eaton. You still had the, like, that study room, but I, yeah, I I forget what we called it. Yeah. I've completely forgotten.
0: Yeah, we'll just call the study room. So I think, yeah. I think you just scurried off to the study room. And then that's where I watched wow. The Hidden the first time was in your room without you, with Tom and a couple other people.
1: Quick shout out to Tom McKenzie, who had great taste always. He knew his movies, he knew his actors, and we always had great film discussion with Tom McKenzie. And I remember, for the most part, he was spot on except for one choice that he made. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Barbarella. That he made us sit through. Oh, I didn't sit through that one. And I may never forgive him for that. But...
0: I saw Bumper <laughs> <I didn't... laughs> recently.
1: It's cheese ball, but it's okay. Uh, I'm just kidding, Tom. Still love you, man. Those those are great memories, watching movies in the dorms there with, uh, with the guys. Yeah. Keep going. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, so we
0: watched it in your room. I've really enjoyed it a lot. Like I said, it had that buddy cop aspect to it. But the crazy thing is I had never seen it again. That was the that was the first time I saw it and this is, watching it for this podcast is the second time. And it's not a movie you can easily find. You know, yeah. you don't see it on TV a lot, they don't seem to stream it a lot and I don't understand that. But it was kind of cool the whole premise of the one cop, of course, you know, wanting to know the answer and the other cop, not really telling what is going on. And then just watching this alien being jump from host to host and wreak havoc throughout the city and just trying to figure out how you're going to track him down, and how you're going to stop it. I thought it was a really cool premise.
1: Agreed. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said just then about this movie. Yeah, it's kind of, again, you know, we've seen elements of this concept in other movies, but just putting it within this framework of 1987 downtown Los Angeles, and we've seen buddy cop dramas at this point, but those, whether it be a lethal weapon or a 48 hours, et cetera, there was a, an element of comedy even in those films, right. Or a little bit of levity this is a little darker. This is a violent film. Right. And there that's what I kind of like about it, actually. So uh, I'll, I'm going to get into some of my initial thoughts here, if that's all right, Bill Bant. Go for it. Uh, watching it now as an adult today. Right off the bat, I mean, we we start with this bank robbery. Uh, he's killing a bunch of security guards. And he's there. this is our what we know or assume at the the top of the movie is our bad guy and we follow him as he hops into a black Ferrari and just goes on this huge cop car chase uh, throughout the sights and sounds of LA. And it's great. It's gritty. It's downtown LA. You, you know, if you know the city, you, you recognize some of the sights, but you get that haze like from the smog and it's just feels like LA in the eighties. And it just, yeah, it just captures this certain essence and you kind of get the grittiness right off the bat. Uh, well shot, car chase, well you know, paced. And you're, you're off to the races right off the bat. It's a great like cold open, if you will. So, I, I mean, that's just an initial thought right off the bat. I'm like, yeah, here we go, rock and roll. I, you know, <laughs> initial thoughts, Bill, Bat was just as soon as the credits came up and the title card comes up, the actual title, the words, the hidden in block letters appears. And in the background within the block letters, you see Kyle McLaughlin's face. As the yeah. character of lloyd gallagher just kind of scroll up through the lettering of the hidden i'm like oh that's cool that's a cool effect and we're i'm like i'm in i'm already in let's do this right from the beginning of this movie i was in now when i saw this as a kid i you know spoiler alert spoiler 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 alert if, again this may be what you might want to if you haven't seen the hidden you may want to watch it and come back and listen to this podcast i don't know If I knew that Kyle McLaughlin's character was an alien, had an alien within him as a kid. And upon revisiting this film today, I think I obviously have seen this movie a few times, if not more. So I knew going in some of this information. But the way that Kyle McLaughlin plays that character, it's very obvious that he's got something going on. He's a little bit quirky, he's a little bit different. And I don't know if that's meant to be like as watching it now as an adult that it's okay that I know he is possessed basically by an alien life form because it doesn't affect really my watching of the film or the viewing experience or like the the story itself. Am I making sense? Because when I was a kid, I just thought he was kind of quirky. When I saw this movie, I thought Kyle McLaughlin was just kind of being weird. I thought maybe during the dinner sequence that we'll get to later um, that maybe he was just drunk. And then it was like this big reveal to me at the end. I was like, oh, you know, when he obviously he explains the situation to Detective Beck, played by Michael Newry, that he's an alien hunting another alien.
0: Yeah, I think in the beginning, you just think he's a little bit quirky, but then once he goes to beck's house then you're like yeah. oh wait there's something else there's another layer to this there's something going on right because at that point you kind of know what this thing is that you know it's a basically parasite whatever you want to call it that is jumping right. from the host to host so you know that so it's like okay so it's an alien tracking an alien it's not like some kind of fbi government agency that's supposed to track down aliens i'm like oh this guy might actually be an alien himself so yeah it's, it's about 35 minutes into the movie until you are right. like, Oh, okay. There's something more to this guy than we thought.
1: Right. Because when I was a kid watching it, I just thought comic McLaughlin was being weird and I didn't realize, and we understand in this movie that there's a series of robberies and murders happening in the city. And these people that have never committed crimes before in their lives are all of a sudden committing these horrific acts of violence and we come to understand, because it's shown quite clearly, that there is an alien in the form of a slimy slug creature uh, moving from body to body, invading different hosts and taking over, like Bill said, as a parasite. And so we understand that. And we have Michael Nuri, who is a detective who is now going to track this killer, but he doesn't know it's an alien that's you know moving from body to body. And then in comes FBI Special Agent Lloyd Gallagher, played by Kyle McLaughlin, who's going to assist Detective Beck in their pursuit of the alien. And this is what I'm talking about, is that now watching this as an adult, it's very clear, like you said, especially during the dinner sequence, when he starts doing certain motions, he looks at himself in the mirror, etc., that he's got another level to him, as you said. And I thought that was interesting upon this watch, where it was so much more clear watching his performance as an adult how he played it. It was kind of cool. It's just an observation, initial thought. Uh, it's weird that this is Kyle McLaughlin's third feature film.
0: Yeah, it was surprising to me too when I saw that.
1: It's only his third and his IMDb isn't like he he doesn't have a like He's got a lot. We know he's been around. He's a well-revered actor. I'm a big fan of his. But then you start looking at his IMDb and you're like, oh, he's, I thought he'd done so much more. I agree with you 100% on that. Uh, It's interesting. I don't know. I'm a comic-clock fan. That was just another thought. I was like, this is a third feature. Okay. I Bill Band, I say this is like, this is just a really, really good B-movie sci-fi. Maybe B-plus movie sci-fi. It's well shot. It's decently directed. The writing is fine. The actors, I think, are really good. And they're very good for handling some of this dialogue, which is a little clunky in time and moments, but uh, the movie knows exactly what it is. It's high. It's sci-fi horror camp, but it's done well. Straightforward story of cops hunting a killer with a nice twist at the end. I don't even know if it's really a twist. It's just kind of a strange ending. We'll, we'll get to that, but this also kind of feels like, <laughs> I was thinking this is initial thought. This feels like an idea I would have come up with, in college at the University of Miami for a student film, <laughs> but it wouldn't yeah. have looked as good, but this shit is definitely in my wheelhouse in, in it. Cause it borrows from so many classic uh, sci-fi movies. Here's th- something for you, man, uh, right off the bat. And I think I, I mentioned this to you in discussion about when we were talking about doing this movie for our podcast, this is what I'm calling the Michael nuri Chris Sarandon thing. Oh yeah. They look so much alike. And I thought Chris Sarandon was in Flashdance, but then that had come up in a discussion we were doing Footloose. I think that's what it was. And you're like, and you said, "Oh yeah, Michael Nouri was in Flashdance." I'm like, I could have sworn. Oh God, yeah, right, okay. So I'm like comparing their IMDb's, but they each have like a few big highlights in the '80s, right? Because yes. Nouri had Flashdance, and then he had The Hidden. Funny enough. Nuri's still doing it today. He just had a nine episode run on Yellowstone. But then you get Chris Sarandon who had Fright Night, Prince Humperdinck and Princess Bride. Yep. And Child's Play, three big 80s movies, you know? Oh, yeah. And I'm going, did these two guys like, were they course correcting each other? Were they always auditioning for the same roles? They have such a similar look.
0: Yeah, one's walking out. The other one's walking in. Yeah, going,
1: oh, great. Which one of us is going to get this role? Yeah. But I just think it's funny. And it, so did they course correct each other or did they just cancel each other out? Because I think they're both great. And why didn't they do more? And I was like, does Hollywood have something against leading men with curly hair? I don't know. So something to think about. So uh, you said this before we even did the podcast there are hey, it's that actors everywhere in this movie. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> see, we're going. That's what I
0: was saying. If we match. In this episode, I'm just going to freak out. Like, there's right. no way. There's just way too many. Hey, that's that actor. I must have done it five times.
1: It's one of those great 80s movies where you're going, Oh, I know that. Uh, it's that guy. I recognize that guy. Oh, yeah, that guy's from that thing. Oh, that, hey, every scene in this movie. This Bill Bant, you'll appreciate this. I don't know if you felt this way, but there were times where I felt like this was like a, a Miami Vice episode. <laughs> it was because of that grainy film look. It, because of the kind of has that cop procedural feel.
0: Oh yeah. I never thought of that. Just, yeah. God. Yeah. It would stand out as like a, a season three episode.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, Cause maybe it was the music a little bit. Obviously it's the eighties, the same time that Miami vice is actually on television, but the cars, the cars, the Ferraris, the, a little bit of the camera movement, the direction. And then I was like, Oh yeah, it's Miami vice meets invasion of the body snatcher and meets the Terminator. Because, when I say this movie borrows from a lot, there's a lot of the Terminator in this as well. Especially when you have one of our human beings that has been taken over by the alien, and just walking around with a blank look on their face and killing several people. That's very Terminator esque, uh, and stealing cars and driving around LA. So. I do love the effects. There are some cheesy moments, but because the effects, because there's such creepiness to it and the creature is very, the creature itself looks so slimy and cool and has like a weird brain on top of it. And it's a graphic enough to kind of overtake the cheesiness for me. And here's the funny thing is why I say this is like a B plus movie, but it still, it works for me on a lot of different levels. But the funny thing is the same year, Bill Bent, this comes out, Predator comes out. And you talk about comparing visual effects, right? You think about the visual effects, the makeup effects, and the creature effects from Predator coming out in 1987, which is a top-tier sci-fi movie that, and all those effects still hold up today. The Hidden has to be kind of like a B-plus movie, in my opinion. And uh, I'll round out my, uh, my little mini category within Initial Thoughts. How you know it's the 80s. We get some obligatory boobs, but mostly... I'm talking about, of course, Claudia Christian as uh, Brenda the stripper. We don't really see her boobs as much as, what do we see, Bill? What do we see? We see some butt cheeks. That's right. Butt cheeks. But you got to get those 80s boobs and butt cheeks in there. We get some car cassette decks and, and cassette tapes, cassette boom boxes. We get some big hair. Cops with revolvers. Bill, did you notice this? The cops themselves seem like dressed down. I'm like, these guys aren't barely wearing anything. They don't have any protection. We're just used to... It seems like cops oh, yeah. just have so much more gear now, right? Yeah, they're like armored up reason. in
0: here. Their, yeah, jackets and flak jackets and all that stuff and helmets. And- in the 80s
1: movies, they're, it looks like they're wearing... You know, the Their uniforms are just the shirt and the pants, and that's it. They got nothing else, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, man, no protection. Of course, uh, more how you know it's the 80s, uh, no seatbelts. And last but not least... Doing cocaine in the office at the car dealership.
0: Oh, yeah. That was That's a just
1: big, an 80s, 80s thing. Yep. Got to do, do a little cocaina in the back office, you know? Do you have some initial thoughts upon watching this, man?
0: Yeah. So my first initial thought is this is a sci-fi movie with hardly any sci-fi, if you think about it.
1: Yeah, well said.
0: We only see the alien parasite twice in this movie. Uh, right. The first time it does the initial transfer, so you, so you as the audience know what the hell is going on. It is gross-looking, that's for okay. sure. Even now watching, I was like, ooh, yeah, that's stomach churn. I'm glad I wasn't eating popcorn I was watching this. Right. And then you see it again at the end. You know, Gallagher has this ray gun that he's using to try to kill the alien, and you only see it shoot, like, three times. And outside of that, there's not really any hardcore sci-fi on it so i thought it was kind of cool it's like this is supposed to be a sci-fi movie but it really doesn't have any sci-fi so that was kind of neat how they were able to do that
1: good call i I love that observation actually
0: and then my second thought too is when you anytime i was trying to look up stuff for this movie they kept classifying this as horror Mm -hmm. i don't consider this a horror film i wouldn't i don't know i I don't know if i would say it's it's like what what makes it a horror film
1: just Outside because of, of the
0: whole possession aspect i, I to was it? just going
1: to say it like the invasion of the body snatcher aspect of it right but other than that that's a good call and observation as well because it's not as if it's it's not scary gory or scary or frightening because the violence is comes more from the action the through the police chases and it's a lot of shoot 'em up stuff versus yeah, actual things that are that'll give you nightmares. I mean, you, like we mentioned, there's the creature transfer, but you only see that a couple of times outside of that. It's um, just a violent movie. It's not, yeah, it's just not that sc- it's not scary.
0: Yeah, because really, if you think about the, this alien or parasite, whatever we want to call it, is really on Earth almost like droid riding, it's just. Jumping from person to person and just enjoying the fruits of the 80s, 80s excess, you know, up to max. It likes to find cars, you know, wants the big radios, wants the, the hot women. Uh, and it's really not until the end where it's like, oh, wait a second. If I jump into a certain person, I might be able to start running things here. This is going to be awesome. It's not like a world domination thing. It's just kind of like, hey, i, I land on this earth place. Just going to check it out. Seems kind of cool. And uh, let me let me give it a spin see what happens. Right. So I thought that was kind of neat, too, that it's not really a, the alien's intention in the beginning is to conquer the Earth. It's just, it's just here because it's just been jumping the planet to planet and just trying to find its way around and just enjoy whatever these planets have to offer.
1: That's a great observation. You know, initially I put in my, one of my complaints that the alien doesn't, the evil alien doesn't have a sense of purpose. What is it doing here besides just. Skipping from host to host and committing random acts of violence and just indulging and being gluttonous. But then it kind of works the way you just framed it. And I love it. It's just that's all it is that just looking to joyride. Like it could go be going from planet to planet with no real even hopes of conquering. It's just wreaking havoc. That's what it does. Yeah. Does it doesn't yep. need to do anything else?
0: In essence, he's he's just an asshole. And it just happens
1: like it, yeah, right. And it just so happens that at the end it does find some purpose, as in, oh, I can inhabit the body of the senator who's running for president who may be president, and then I will run everything and have free reign over everything.
0: Yeah, I'll have everything I want, all the cars I want, all the women I want. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought that was that was kind of neat. I agree. It's pretty cool. And it's just so happened, also, is that this bad alien has wronged our good alien in oh, clock yeah. M- many ways because we learned that yeah he had lost his wife daughter and partner from where he comes from-hmm
0: I mean that's that is the thing about this movie too it's like there's so many questions when it's over and it's like questions like you don't want them answered in the movie because it would ruin the movie but you kind of want it's like why why does the alien have to have a host? Mm -hmm. i mean granted yeah if it was running around we'd all you know if you saw this thing i mean it is freaking gross it's like this slimy huge blob thing
1: it looks gross but what they did i thought was smart which like if there was any horror aspect to to this here actually is that it's not just like watching a slug coming out of the mouth of a human being but the slug actually expands and it gets bigger And then it goes into the mouth of another human being. You're like this giant slimy slug is going to fit into this guy's mouth and go inside him. It's disgusting.
0: Yeah, which probably could not. I mean, it's giving birth out of your mouth kind of deal. I'm like, yeah, that would be that would definitely kill the host, escaping or even trying to get into a new host. That that's how big this thing is. It's kind of gross. So, I just like that all the questions I was I was just thinking about. It's like, was Gallagher and this alien coexisting on this planet to begin with or was this alien passing through and it ended up killing his partner and wife and child and now he's been chasing it for nine earth years how long has it been on earth why did it decide to come to earth where has it been before is the rest of the race like this it's just is this just a bad seed of this species so it was just cool all the questions that it was like oh this would make a good television show Like the hidden, like a like a 10 part episode thing where you kind of get a little bit more, but I don't want too much. Right. But just enough that you learn a little bit more what this is all about. But I'm glad that we didn't get it. It's almost one of those things like I want the information, but I'm glad I didn't get the information because I think it would have ruined the movie. I just like it, just gave me enough that I knew just to keep following the story and just you know, rooting for Gallagher and Beck that they were gonna catch this alien at the end and kill it.
1: Absolutely, 100%. And Bill Bant, we do not have to do the deep question segment of our podcast. Oh, sorry. Because you just answered I, all of my questions. <laughs> that was awesome. I, I just <laughs> I just stepped over all your I, questions. This is what I have written. For, this is at the end of our podcast, usually, our deep question segment. And I wrote, do you think this could be a cool series or should it have been an 80s series? Uh, what more do you need to know about the aliens or what more do you want to know about the aliens <laughs> and yeah, because you're absolutely right everything is open-ended you only know little tidbits about these alien species now i assumed that they were two different species and this one particular species the quote unquote bad alien is this violent murderous alien that's just been wreaking havoc from planet to planet and had to have come across uh McLaughlin's species. And that's why he, the bad alien killed his partner and his family. And now McLaughlin's out for revenge, but it seems though as though McLaughlin was where he is from that star, which is, has a strange alien name. It's mentioned at the, in the dinner scene, uh, he mentions it. He was law enforcement for whatever that means for his alien species. Right. That it can be inferred, is that he was a cop, or whatever that means. It's not
0: 100% clear, but yeah, you can't right. infer that it is. I would assume, my guess would be that Alien came from another planet, went to Gallagher's planet. They weren't coexisting at the time. Right. If that makes sense.
1: I, I think it does, and... There, I wonder if there's any other fan fiction out there regarding The Hidden. Got to do a deep dive on that somehow, because I agree with you. I think it would make an awesome series. If this was done right and smart and clever, this could be very cool. But you would really, like you said, have to be smart about doling out the details in the background and not because if you give away too much, it no longer becomes interesting or you're not fascinated by it or not you you always need to want to know more about who these creatures are and where they came from the mystery always has to be there in order for a show to last based on this concept but i think it could work because i definitely would love to know more
0: but not too much more that's the thing as an audience we always want more information and then when we get it we're disappointed Right. (laughs) So I I think in this sense, the fact that they don't give us the information is what I like about them. You gave me enough information for me to keep enjoying this movie. Right. Kudos.
1: Great stuff, man.
0: All right. So let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. What are some of our favorite scenes and moments from
1: The Hidden? I mentioned the opening car chase. I love it. All the stuff around downtown LA. I love it when our main uh, bad guy, the character's name is DeVries and... He is cruising around this black Ferrari hauling ass through MacArthur Park, often a uh, location in many, many, many films. So I love that car chase, especially when he comes up against all the cops that, you know, form the roadblock. There's some great music in it, and he just takes out all the cop cars. Anyway. Also, that was just like, that is technically a scene, the car chase, but there's just moments within it that are great. I thought it was well shot, very high action, uh, high stakes, fast paced. Now, I think these are cool moments throughout the movie is whenever the bad alien is possessing a certain body, that particular human being, male or female, has this tick. It has a habit of sticking its tongue out slightly. Oh, yeah. Is there, so then you know for sure that that person has been taken over. It's a weird tick that the alien has. It's one of those unanswered questions, right? Yep. Like, why do they do that? But they do it consistently throughout. It's partly for the audience so that we know that that person is the alien. That's the giveaway, right? That's the tell. But it's just a cool little device. It's a cool little storytelling that they do throughout the movie. I like those moments. I think it's smart storytelling. It's good writing. But uh, my first favorite scene, I th- I'm going to say, is when Agent Lloyd Gallagher goes over to Detective Beck's for dinner. We've mentioned this scene a couple times already. And I like these scenes in buddy cop movies in general. There's always that scene where often it's uh, a new pairing. So like in Lethal Weapon, right? Yes. Roger Murtaugh has now uh, been paired with a new partner, in Martin Riggs, has him over for dinner, meet the family. Let's get to know each other a little bit, right? And one of my favorite all-time scenes, actually, I was watching this recently, is in Seven, when you have uh, Detective Somerset and Detective Mills. Mills has uh, Somerset come over to his apartment, and they're hanging out and uh, with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. It's a great scene. It's just they get to know each other. The audience gets to know them. They're bonding. There's, uh, it's it's a good scene for some, you know, uh, character background and a little exposition maybe. But anyway, I like these dinner scenes in buddy cop movies. In this particular one, Agent Gallagher goes over to De- Peck's, uh, Detective Beck's home, and this is like we were alluding to earlier when we see Agent Gallagher has some ticks of his own, and he is walking around as Detective Beck is saying hello to his wife and his young daughter. Gallagher is kind of looking at a photograph of Beck's daughter and then looks into the mirror and starts touching his face and realizing what it really kind of feels like, or looks like to be human and maybe having memories of his own daughter from wherever he comes from in the galaxy. (laughs) And then the dinner scene ensues, but actually there's a great moment before that when they're putting their daughter, I think it's Jessica, right, uh, to bed. And that's when it hits Gallagher. He's looking at this young girl, and I'm sure, you know, reflecting upon his own family and his young daughter, but the girl, Jessica, is she's all tucked in, and she gives this cold stare to Gallagher as though she recognizes he's not human.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if they had like a telepathy moment or something. It's a cool
1: moment. It's very awkward in the movie. Yes, very. Very awkward because Gallagher is standing in this girl's bedroom where he clearly doesn't belong. Although Beck and his wife have invited him in basically. But the girl is in bed and they're just staring at each other. It's it's a long stare. But it's kind of cool because she sees something in him that's off or unrecognizable or different and he knows it, he feels it, you can feel the tension. It's a cool moment. Cut to the actual dinner scene. Uh, Gallagher is sipping the beer bottle awkwardly, eating awkwardly, and you start thinking, it's well done because you, as an audience member, you're watching him going, first of all, I think about it from an actor's perspective, how would you perform this when you are still getting used to the human form? You're an alien possessing a human body, How do you eat? How do you ingest this food? What does it taste like? You know what I mean? And obviously Beck is recognizing this weird behavior and then they have the discussion and there is the exposition where we learn that Gallagher had lost his wife and child, you know, his partner was also dead. So it's quite tragic, but there's these awkward moments in between. So I enjoy this whole scene once Gallagher goes over to uh, Beck's for dinner. It works for me. That's my first favorite scene.
0: Yeah, I had that down too. It was one of my favorite scenes too, because I like the fact that he comes to the house and just even being in the house just seems awkward to him because he says he lives in an apartment and it's almost
1: like places can get this big. He actually pauses before he goes into the home, like he stops before even going inside, just kind of looking at it from the outside. Like it's everything is very foreign to him in a way it's kind of cool yeah
0: yeah and then Beck offers him something to drink and he just you know says whatever you're having and then we kind of find out it's probably the first time he's ever had alcohol because mm-hmm. half a bottle he's already three sheets of the wind and Beck's trying and his wife are, are both talking to him and you can see he's almost telling them that he's from another planet because she's right. asking him like oh where are you from and he he literally like points up like he means to be from the stars but she infers to it like, like oh you're up, from up north fuck, yeah no oh, she's like my family's from up north and it's like what town are you in and that's when he kind of says the planet and she just kind of like never heard of that one right yeah. which you know California big state lots of cities okay it oh, sure. sounds like a weird one so I can see that going over your head uh yeah i thought it was a really cool scene and then then yeah because then i thought when he said like his daughter is special oh now he's really gonna say something and they kind of left it there and i was like oh man i wanted to that's when i really thought there was like a telepathy moment and maybe he knew something about her that he was gonna share to them i was all excited and then nothing happened i was like ah
1: yeah, that's a good point. I, I picked up on that too. When he says, this is Gallagher, Kyle McLaughlin says to them, you know, your daughter is very special. And it's almost creepy in a way, but but then you're like, oh, does the daughter have a sixth sense of yes. some kind? Which I think she does. I actually do. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. I like to believe that in this fiction, in this movie. I think it's great. And also we talked about these dinner scenes between the cops is a good reason for them to have a moment to bond. And I think this is where Michael Nori starts liking him a little more, you know, and or sympathizes, empathizes a little bit because he understands that Gallagher has endured loss. Uh, and that's something that cops have to deal with. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a connection on that level. And then immediately afterward, you know, we talk about all the little hints that these this particular scene gives away that, Kyle is not your everyday human being. He gets drunk off of uh, like half a beer and is crashing in like the guest bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't even go home. He's sleeping over. And uh, Nuri gets a phone call, has to wake him up, says, We got to go, and hands him an Alka seltzer. And McLaughlin takes it and like puts it right into his mouth, like takes a bite off of it. And it's like, It's great. You get all these little hints. It's fun stuff. Those little details are fun. So it's all, yeah, great, great scene.
0: Um, So for me, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the opening. I love the opening because if you're someone who had never seen this film or knew nothing about it and this opening happened, you'd be like, what the hell, what, what is this all about? This is freaking crazy. So it opens up where it's basically footage from a bank cam security camera. And it's black yeah. and white footage and the credits are rolling and you're watching people come in the bank, watching people come out the bank, You see a security guard walk in. And it's one of those things like when you're an audience member and you see credits, you're kind of like half paying attention. You're not really paying attention to what's going on. But for this movie, you have to pay attention because it's very important. And we have Jack DeVries, our initial alien host baddie, comes into frame and he's just standing there at the bottom bottom right of the screen. He's just standing there. In a trench coat. And he watches one of the security guards walk by. And Jason, I had to watch this three times because I was too busy watching him that I never saw the other officers coming in with the mm-hmm. bags of money. Oh yeah. So all of a sudden he whips out a shotgun, just starts blasting up the bank and just like, Whoa, what the hell's going on? And then the next scene, it cuts, you know, you hear all the screaming and stuff. And now it cuts to the outside. So now you're, you're in color. Right. And it's just this great chase. And he just, like you said, he has no care in the world. He's just getting away from these cops. He's using all these crazy maneuvers. It's a really cool chase scene. The bad guy's really using some cool techniques to kind of get the cops off the trail. He's, you know, ramming other cars into cop cars to stop them. He's driving through a park. And then at the very end, there's basically a, a police barricade with, you know, headlined by Beck, and they all have all these guns and stuff. And you you see Jack at first is initially like, oh crap. And then he's just like, foot to the pedal tears right into them you're like what the hell and they just start shooting up the car shooting up this car and literally all the cops scatter he drives through the barricade ends up smashing into a wall and then gets out of the car you see he's all shot up and you're like what is going on how is this guy still surviving and they shoot the car the car explodes and you see him just get thrown off and the scene ends and I don't know. I think it's an amazing opening. It just grabs you right. because if you don't know anything about the film, you're just like, what the hell just happened?
1: Yeah, How did this, this guy, guy survive all this? LSD that? or Speed or whatever. Yeah, something.
0: You want to know what's going to happen next. And I think it's one of the better openings I think I've seen in the film in a long time. But yeah, this might go in my top 10 now. because. Oh, I wow. Know, yeah. Awesome.
1: It is, it's a blast. Absolutely. I said the same thing. Yeah, keep going, man. If you had more to say about it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, um, the, the only thing I wish they didn't do was for the security footage. Like, I understand why they had to do it, but I wish they did the security footage without the sound and you just see everything happen. But I think you need the sound because like I said, as an audience member, without hearing the shotgun blast, it kind of snaps you into like, oh my God, I got to pay attention. This movie's happening right away. It's not just showing me credits, but I thought it would have been really cool if you just saw the opening in the bank happen without the sound and everything's yeah. just going through the security right but yeah it's a great chase scene and then yeah like it has no regard he's literally driving through the park and a lady's pushing this old guy in a wheelchair and the lady runs out of the way leaves the guy in the wheelchair there and he just runs him right over he just oh, runs yeah. him right over just does, has no care in the world and you're just like what is up with this guy this guy is freaking crazy and he's just super calm just playing his loud heavy metal music and it just sucks you right in it's such a great opening I was like, probably half the budget went to the opening of this movie. It must have. It's powerful stuff. It's awesome.
1: I want to watch it immediately again now after you just broke it down for us. Because it is, it's literally rock and roll as he does listen to the heavy metal music in the Ferrari and has no care for human life whatsoever. Uh, It was funny because I'm watching it going, this is really well shot. Like this is high speed, high intensity. Yeah, it's, it's a good a chase real, scene. It's a very, very good car chase scene, and the what well, you mentioned that he, he freaking nails that poor son of a bitch in the wheelchair, but he had to, in order for you to buy it as like this is one bad effort.
0: Yeah, it's got a lot of Death Race 2000 vibes in it. Yeah,
1: this alien, if you're going to buy the... Like, he's not going to just swerve out of the way for this human being in a wheelchair. He's a... This alien is ruthless, doesn't have... Has no regard for human life. So then you're like, oh, he just hit a dude in a wheelchair. This is no bueno. We got to take this alien for... We don't know it's an alien, but we were like, this guy is the real deal baddie. The classic moment... Where the guys are walking out of the like maintenance vehicle with the plate glass window. Yes. And so he can run through the plate glass window, which is like a common trope. You'll see in a lot of movies and they make fun of it a lot later on in other movies uh, like parodies and things like that. There's always in a car chase, somebody's got to run through a plate glass window, but he freaking nails the two guys carrying the window yeah not only just take out the fly- window take the there's guys. some great stunt work in this movie man and there that's a perfect example right there those guys go flying over yeah. the cars and those are dummies those are stuntmen and you can tell the difference. and like you're like oh i actually said i was like oh when i watched it i was like oh no jesus yeah. Uh, I want to give a really, I'm glad you broke it down. Cause I glossed over that scene and it is rock and roll. I'm going to give a quick shout out to uh, DeVries himself, Chris Mulkey. Mm-hmm. Talk about it. That guy, you know, Hey, it's that actor. I hope I'm not stepping on your hey, It's that actor nope. right now. Okay. Good. We're still good. We're still good. All right. Good. Because here's a little quinky dink. Chris Mulkey goes on uh, to be in, I think it's like 13 episodes of twin peaks with, the one and only Kyle McLaughlin, they would meet again. And I think in this particular car chase, Chris Mulkey playing DeVries, the guy driving the car, this ruthless killer, uh, Chris Mulkey's great. Cause you know, something's off with him because he's so calm and cool behind the wheel. He'll crack a smile even from time to time, but he's just like even keel listen to his rock and roll music, just running rampant through the streets and killing me.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I forgot to bring this up too. I've always wanted to, if I was ever in a movie and I had to die in the movie, my death scene would be shotgun blast through a pane glass window. And so when that, when, so when that, that first security officer gets shot, when they first go outside, I'm like, oh,
1: that's the role I would want to play. I wanted to be that <laughs> security amazing. officer.
0: I don't know why. I've
1: always had this thing for it. Great stuff, man. Opening car chase. Well, my next favorite scene from The Hidden... I'm calling the stripper shootout. (laughs) Okay. Love this. So at this point now, you know, we knew uh, our guy from the car chase, he was, had been taken over by the alien. The alien now has moved from him into, I think it's Miller. The second guy is Miller. Yeah. And then it goes from Miller who now has made his way to the, I believe it's called the harem room, which is a strip joint eventually shit goes down and miller uh trans the alien transfers from miller to brenda the stripper and the cops get wind of that they figure this out basically because she now possessed by the alien takes uh some loser from the bar across the street over to his car and gets a little sexy time in with him kills that guy takes his car and now another cool car chase now we have our buddy cops at this point, uh, Gallagher and Beck chasing Brenda, the stripper, and they're chasing her and uh, they shoot out the tire. She goes crashing into a window display and climbs out of the car unbeknownst to them very quickly. And this is where it gets great. It's actually to me where the scene really kicks in is right after uh, she crashes into the window display. Because then it's like this mannequin warehouse. And I'm like, oh, well, that that works all the time. If you got a yes. bunch of naked mannequins in a warehouse, that's creepy as all hell. So there you go. And shout out to the music here, the score by Michael Convertino. It's cool. It's kind of like this mechanical banging, thunderous drum beat that carries throughout this movie. And it kicks in at the right moments and it kicks in right as they're going through this mannequin warehouse within this. Uh, like department store, I'm assuming. And it's very creepy. They're chasing her. And this is when Detective Beck starts getting the kind of wind of the fact that these 'er ne'er-dwellers, these evil uh, murderers that they've been chasing aren't going down easy. And there's a common thread here. Something is off. And they are shooting the hell out of Brenda the stripper, and she's not going down. And you see it. She's taking bullets, and there's squibs going off. There's blood flying. And they make their way to the rooftop. And there's some great stunt work here. On the rooftop, they're dodging bullets. So you've got our buddy cops going at it with Brenda. They're shooting at each other, dodging bullets. And Detective Beck takes one in the shoulder, goes flying off the rooftop and manages to hang on. It's a great shot. There's a big wide shot of him going over the edge of the roof. And that's a stunt, man. And it's real. And it's cool. It's like, oh, my God, he's way up there. And he's hanging on for dear life. Meanwhile, Kyle MacLachlan's still in a shootout with Brenda. This is really cool because Kyle manages to get over to Detective Beck, pulls him up over the roof, and he's going to be fine. And now Detective Beck is breathing heavily. He's been shot, and he's back up on the roof, and he's watching the action unfold. Gallagher is following Brenda. Brenda has her back turned to Gallagher, and Gallagher is just shooting him lighting her up Yep. and she's just walking nonchalantly love that i just love that moment she's taking bullets in the back yep. and it's not affecting her at all it's just a simple thing but it's cool in a way it's i guess you could say it's terminator-esque but the fact that she has her back to him and doesn't even turn around at first and then we see he pulls out his special weapon but he can't fire upon it until the alien actually comes out of the human being and she kind of voice says i'm not going to let you kill me i'm not coming out yet and turns around and nose dives off the building goes crashing through the department store sign and goes crashing to the ground another great stunt and it's just a cool sequence uh i just love that action sequence there's just good stunt work in it some good uh shootout action i mentioned the creepy aspect of the mannequin warehouse part um it's good, it's good action. So I like that scene.
0: Yeah, it is a fun scene because um, Claudia Christian, who plays uh, Brenda, so she's basically the third host that we know of, of this alien. And it seems like it's the first time the alien parasite has embodied a woman. Right. The parasite checks checking himself out, of course, touching himself, and then mm-hmm. basically runs off to have sex with this guy because I think it wants to experience what that is all about. And right. then literally kills the guy after having sex and runs off with the car.
1: Yeah. I love that little scene. Yeah, where she feels herself up. Yeah. She's feeling her breasts, like, oh, what are these?
0: Because this alien throughout the whole film, it once it sees something and it wants it, it's just taking it regardless. First, you know, it sees Brenda at the strip club and decides it wants to have Brenda because the second host, which is Miller, the transfer happened in the hospital and he was supposed to have bypass surgery. So this body isn't is a damaged body. And you can tell throughout the movie that he's having trouble keeping this host alive and knows it needs to, well, we don't know if if the host dies, that the alien dies. But the alien just knows, Parasite knows it needs to switch. Right. And for some reason, wants to go to a strip club and occupies Brenda. Of course, all hell breaks loose with Brenda. And she's got all these guns and she's shooting everything up. And then I think that's when you kind of realize, too... Because you see Gallagher pull out the gun. Now we know as an audience member, I'm like, okay, that's the alien. You got your gun, shoot it. Right. And he's just waiting. What the hell are you waiting for? Just shoot the right. goddamn gun. Why are you waiting the alien to give the big speech? And then you really find out till later why he can't shoot her at that point. So I thought that yeah. was kind of cool too, because then it just gives you another question. You're like, what? what's
1: going on? Why did, Why'd you let her jump off the roof? Right. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Good action. Did you have something else?
0: Yeah, so I had a, a moment because I was just saying the alien throughout the this film, every time it sees something and wants it, it's going to take it. And I always love these aliens from another planet when they're trying to learn the ways of humans and mm-hmm. they don't quite get it right. So there's a scene where our second host person, Jonathan Miller, the one who's got the bypass thing, is driving down the street in the Ferrari and he sees these attractive women. And, of course, he sees this guy pull up in his nice car and basically just wave over the girl, not knowing that they're probably together as a couple anyway. And the girl, of course, gets in the car. So, of course, this alien thinks, oh, it must be that easy. So he sees these two attractive women coming up the street and he pulls up the car and tries to do the same thing. And the girls are like, you know, fuck off, asshole. Love it. I always love that stuff. That stuff always just—I just find funny. So it's just like a, a little moment. It's just the you know fish out of water moment. Just trying right. to mimic what they think is the right thing, and it's actually wrong.
1: Uh, yeah, that's a that is a moment of levity, actually, in this. Yeah, it's a fun moment. So I also have a moment, uh, or another moment later on now, Detective Beck has finally put together the fact that something's rotten in Denmark. It's not adding up. And he's sitting across from Gallagher in the police station. And basically this is a great Michael Nuri acting moment, actually, where he gets in his face and he's like, you're going to tell me what the hell is going on. We've got all these dead bodies. You're going to tell me what's happening. And this is when Gallagher starts telling him the truth, starts laying it all out for him. He's like, you could tell you, but you wouldn't understand. He's like, try me. And he tells him the whole story and how he's come from a different planet, basically to chase this alien who jumps from host to host. All these people you've been chasing has been the same person. And there's a moment here when I speak of like Michael Nury's great acting in this scene is that once McLaughlin's telling him that it's an alien that they're chasing and that he himself is an alien, There's this look of disbelief that Michael Nury has, and he does this thing where he sits back in his chair and he gives him the greatest look. And he just stares right at him in total disbelief and says, are we talking spacemen here? (laughs) And it's just a great line. Uh, So that's a great moment. Another great moment is when now this actually takes place right after Brenda nosedives off the rooftop. Her body her human body has died. Thus, a transfer has to happen immediately. The alien has to exit the body. So Gallagher rushes down there to apprehend or kill that alien in the midst of the transfer. But he gets there too late. But we as the audience understand, and I think this is actually a really cool part of the movie, is that now our Lieutenant Masterson has shown up on the scene And went over there with his dog that he decided to bring with. Yeah. And the dog goes up to our dead Brenda, or we think she's dead. And her eyes open up and she grabs the dog. And so we know as an audience, uh uh-oh, uh-oh, alien dog now. Alien is inside dog now. We then learned that the dog, excellent work by the dog, by the way. Uh, The dog's really good in this movie. Yes. Dog is back home with Lieutenant Masterson and Lieutenant Masterson getting his food out of the fridge, a little late night snack, and the dog attacks Lieutenant Masterson. And we know that the alien is now transferring it into another human form. That being Lieutenant Masterson, who now goes back to the police station. And this is total Terminator stuff where he just goes on a fricking rampage and starts shooting up the joint. Uh, Some stuff happens in between, but I'm getting to this moment where finally Finally, Detective Beck knows that Masterson is not of this earth, basically, or possessed by the alien uh, and has to get Gallagher out of the jail cell that he put him in. At this point, I'm skipping over some stuff, obviously, but they team up and they're trying to shoot down Masterson, but he's got superhuman strength. because He's got the alien inside of him. And it comes to this moment where Masterson, he's got a bazooka strapped to his back. Oh, I know. And he spins around where he thinks he's got both Gallagher and Beck cornered. And it's just a quick shot. I just love this moment. It gets me every time because there's been this whole shootout. And then Masterson pulls out the big guns, being the bazooka, and goes, bye, and fires. And in that moment, it's great because you think they're screwed. Our cops are good guys. And then. Beck pulls his gun up and shoots Masterson right in the head. So it goes from bazooka to sh- getting shot in the head and the, he spins and the bazooka fires and blasts a pole in the wall. I just love that moment. And a uh, lot of, lot of dead cops in that building body count very high in this movie.
0: After the Terminator came out, if you're going to do a shoot up in the in the police, police precinct. Yeah, yeah. You got a high standard. You got a match. And that, I thought that was one of the weaker scenes. Like, I, I liked the idea of it, but I just felt like this, I don't know. I felt like you were on a sound stage.
1: It wasn't quite as well executed as it was in The Terminator. Yeah. I agree with that. I mostly like it for the moment where Masterson pulls the bazooka on Gallagher and Beck. But also then, immediately following the bazooka explosion and Masterson gets away, i absolutely love this shot because you have the smoke from the explosion it's the hallway going down the middle of the jail cells you've got gallagher walking slowly down the hallway by himself and it's this moment where beck is behind him and joins him and they're walking slowly down this hallway that's just been blown to hell and they're together and they're dirtied up they've both been shot at this point And everything's gone to hell. But at this point, they're really together. It's like, oh, yeah, we're in it now. And this is happening. They both know the full story. They know what's happening. And we're going to go kick some ass. And we're going to go do what it takes. It's a great shot. So there's two moments that I love in this. uh, The overall scene isn't the best ever. But there's a couple of great moments. And that's one of them. Kind of the hero shot. The, oh, yeah. buddy cop, the buddy cop hero shot happens at the end of the sequence.
0: Yeah, because it is your typical, you know, the one partner doesn't want to partner with them, and then he tries to accept them, and then, of course, the other partner does something, so then he gets all pissed off. That kind of runs through this wave the whole time. It's like, okay, this guy's not so bad. No, this guy's fucking ridiculous. No, he's not so bad. Oh, he's fucking ridiculous. Right. And they're like, all right, in order to get through this, we have to work together. or else we're not going to accomplish our goals.
1: Yeah, that's where you really feel they've truly come together is that after the police uh, precinct shootout Mm -hmm. and Masterson has gotten away and they're just like, ah, fuck it. We're together in this. We're doing this.
0: Yeah, especially when you see your supervisor has now been possessed and shooting everything up. So you're like, okay, anything can happen at this point. Right. And then, yeah, so then we find out after Masterson, it's Beck's partner who's now... The host,
1: right? Eventually, yeah, it does get to Willis, who is Beck's partner. Yeah,
0: which you know was going to happen. He just looked like a bad guy from
1: the get go. So. Edo Ross, man, he's always yeah. Oh, I know. He's always he's kind always of a, a bad, bad guy, guy. Yeah, I
0: know. It's always weird when you see someone that you normally see as a bad guy playing the good guy role, and you're like, all right, he's got to turn at some point, right? Right. I mean, it's not his fault. I mean, he is possessed by a parasite. So that's
1: true. I'll, I'll,
0: I'll give him. <laughs> all right. Anything else for uh, favorite scenes or moments?
1: My favorite moment is the ending. Like the the ending ending? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I absolutely love it. And this is most definitely a spoiler alert. So if you do not want to know how the hidden ends, please fast forward. The ending is great because we understand that the bad alien has been hop, skip, and jumping from uh, host to host throughout the movie. But we now learn at the end here that... Our good alien residing within Gallagher's body can do the same. And at the end, Beck is in the hospital. He's dying. He's taken two bullets to the gut. He's bleeding out, uh, and they're trying to save him in the hospital. Gallagher is in the, the next room. He's been shot up too, but he's faring a little better. And he gets out of bed to go check on Beck, and Beck is flatlining. It's not looking good. And Gallagher leans over him, opens Beck's mouth, and Gallagher releases his life force, which then transfers into Beck. This is not a, a creepy, slimy slug. This is actually the this sort of glowing gold energy beam that is very similar to what was coming out of his laser weapon, actually. So Gallagher transfers his life force into Detective Beck, And Gallagher falls dead. And now at this point, Beck wakes up and his wife and daughter enter the room and they're relieved to see that he is alive and seems to be doing better. And there's this great moment because now we're like, wait, so... Who is it really? Did the life force now that's inside of Beck just give Beck life? And is it still Beck? Or because Gallagher transferred his life force into Beck, is it actually Gallagher that's inside of Beck? Who is it? And we see the little girl. And this is a great callback to what we had mentioned earlier in the film in that dinner scene when she's being put to bed and she gives that weird stare to Gallagher like there's something off about this guy. Now she's looking at her own father lying in the hospital bed Realizing there's something off about him. And so at the end, Beck reaches out his hand and his daughter takes his hand. She accepts him for whatever he is, but it's a little bit up in the air. It's very cool ending. Gives me, gave me a little chills. It was like, oh, it's a little ambiguous. Cause I think it's actually the good alien is inside of it. And that's the daughter recognizes that she has that sixth sense. She can sense, she sees it. I it's cool. So could go either way though. Depend we don't know. We don't, we just don't know enough about the alien species and how it works. So
0: Right. Cause that brings up another question about at least Gallagher species is if you're a host of these aliens, how much are like are you like in a coma and you know this is happening to you and you have no power over what's going on? Or are you sharing this entity inside of you? And the one thing you kind of see at the end is the difference between the parasite and Gallagher is the parasite takes over these hosts and just uses them up until they no longer serve any purpose and tosses you away and jumps to the next one. Whereas Gallagher, because even the body he goes into was a person that was dying. So almost he goes in, regenerates the body and then right. basically continues their life. And now he, he's doing it again with Beck. Beck is dying. He's now entering the body regenerating the body. And it's going to let this human, run out the rest of their life so there's, yeah there's definitely a contrast between the two species right Which i thought was Clearly. kind of neat that's something you don't really see until the end of the movie so yeah it is kind of cool because that's what i was kind of thinking at the end when the daughter just kind of stops and gives a look it's who is it that she's looking at you don't really know right i don't know it's like how much of it is beck and how much of it is gallagher at that point so it is yeah it is a cool kind of ending yeah all right, so let's move on to Swiss cheese and complaint department. And we call it Swiss cheese because...
1: Although this movie is delicious, it does have holes.
0: Yes, and if it is not Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. So, Jason, what do you have for Swiss cheese with the complaint department?
1: I guess, I, I don't know if this is a... I'll, I'll save it, I'll save it, but uh, for complaints, I think it belongs in the complaints department. Did you have anything for Swiss cheese or did you want to go right to complaints?
0: I have one. I think it's a Swiss cheese. Okay. So, all right. So at one point in the movie, we do see what the parasite alien looks like. And it's not your typical little tiny slug that's going to wiggle its way on the back of your brain. Or what was those things on Star Trek Two that would crawl into your ear?
1: Yeah. Oh, God. It's going to kill me now. Um, Oh, the set of eels.
0: Oh, well done. I mean, this is a big... It's a big thing. It's at least a foot and a half long.
1: Right. Yeah, pretty, yeah.
0: yeah. And it's pretty wide. And it somehow finds some space in your body to take over as and use you as your host. And all these hosts get the shit shot up. The alien's never getting hurt. Like, bullets pass through people. Right. How is it not harming the alien at any point? Is that like the aliens in there?
1: Like, whoo, ducking to yeah. the side, the side, like, oh, bullet, oh, the bullet almost got me there. Just slithering around the organs within yeah. the human host and moving and dodging bullets. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great. Uh, it, absolutely, it's like how does the the physiology work there, the biology of it all when that snail-like slug is inside of a human host? I'm going to go with that. The slug basically shrinks. A bit downsizes, if you will, once it's inside the human. And then once it comes out, as you see when it first exits DeVries in the beginning and goes into Miller, it expands when it's outside and it has to shrink in order to even fit in the mouth of the next host. I mean, that thing is huge.
0: Yeah. I mean, try to open your mouth as wide as you can. That alien still would not come out.
1: It's disgusting. The whole thing is disgusting. First of all, how does it fit in there? and then? if it's residing within the body and the body is getting beat to hell or sh- taking bullets, that means the slug would be taking bullets too.
0: Like the breeze can kind of get away. Cause you could say the car crash and the explosion. Cause maybe he only gets shot like twice, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe most of the bullets don't hit him. Right. But then yeah, Brenda gets shot up. The master takes a bullet to the head. So, okay. It's possible the alien could avoid that. But then even, um, uh, Willis gets shot up pretty bad. So that, you know, that should have got him too. Yeah. If it was like a little parasite thing, I was like, okay. But yeah, w- once you see this thing, I think, yeah, I think
1: that's, it could be, that's very literally a hole. Maybe lots of holes. Yeah, lots there of, should be lots of holes. There be lots of parasite. holes in the actual parasite. Good stuff. Keen observation. Or maybe it's kind of obvious. I don't know. I didn't think about it. So I'm a dummy.
0: Can I just follow this up? Uh, Please completely? do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we see that. So when this parasite comes out, I mean, it's, it's a slimy mess. Mm -hmm. It's gross. Cause I mean, it's like, it needs the slime in order to slide out of your, your throat and go into the next one. So every time you find the old host, I'm like, wouldn't there be residue? Like you have all these doctors here. Wouldn't they notice like all this residue over the rise
1: face? What the hell is this? Right. Because there's tentacles flapping around and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. When it goes in and out, and it, which is also disgusting. And it, yeah, you're right. It's it should like be
0: leaving something behind. When the
1: alien leads, leaves that goopy stuff behind yeah. the aliens. You know, not the acid, but just like that, the goop that they find That's everywhere.
0: True. Yeah, it's the classic alien goop. It is. That's a good
1: call. Classic alien goop. Yeah. You got to have, some, like what well, you said, too, residue, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The little residue on the mouth. So you're like. Why is his mouth all glossy? Yeah, exactly. And slippery. Ew. Yeah, it could be a little. <laughs> right, I'm, not, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. It's a great uh, complaint, though. My complaint actually is with the very. We talked how awesome. The, talked about how. Wait, awesome you're going
0: to complain about the
1: opening. Only because DeVries is standing there stoic and creepy in a trench coat. And the security guard literally walks right up to him and right past it. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I just, I have a fucking problem with these security guards of the eighties. man. It's a, it's a rent-a-cop man. Come on. Cause I'm watching the credit. I'm watching the movie and the guy walks into the screen in the trench coat. I'm like, there's, there's that guy's a bad guy. That guy's a bad guy. And I'm like security and the security guard just walks right up to him right past him. I'm like oh, these security guards.
0: If it was Axel Foley, he would notice right
1: That's there's
0: a... trouble not your typical
1: bank security cop and then at the very end of that <laughs> that car chase that awesome car chase devries stumbles out of the cars uh, start to stumbles out of the car the cops have him dead to rights yes but they shoot the car behind him and the car explodes which tosses devries off to the side Aren't they shooting him?
0: They bad oh, okay, right. they miss, they're bad shots. They missed him in car. shots. Yes. How many were there lined up? At least 20? Mm-hmm. And they couldn't stop the car? Yeah. So, of course, they're going to miss him when he's standing there dead to rights.
1: Just shoot him. And then it'd be one thing if he was riddled with bullets and still got up and ran off. Yeah. But he's standing there unarmed and they all. Are have guns on them and they just they fire but they hit the car behind them which explodes tossing him aside mm-hmm. I was like oh this, that was kind of weird but it's still an awesome action sequence that's you know it's forgivable how about another complaint from you all
0: right so I guess this does go to the opening scene or even most of the scenes in this we're in Los Angeles uh-huh. where the fuck's all the traffic Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> right. during the pandemic the streets weren't as empty as they were in this movie Right. Holy moly, You can get anywhere. Call. I'm like, man, I should have been in Los Angeles in 87. I could have got anywhere. I want it. There's never that's hilarious. There might be 10 other cars in the street outside of Ferraris. It's Ferraris and like five other cars.
1: Right. That's amazing. And that's a great call. And I it just made me think too, cause I was watching part of the fun of that opening car chase is the fact that there are no other cars in the world. I'm like, man, Man, L.A. is a great setting for a car chase if there was no other cars uh, at all. Yes. You would never be able to go that fast. It was like there's no
0: no reason to steal a Ferrari because you can't go that fast anywhere in the city streets are. Right. But, yeah,
1: I just couldn't believe how empty all these streets were. Amazing. I have a complaint regarding Miller, who has been possessed, goes to a record store and... Kills the clerk that works there, or the owner, who knows, but uh, beats him to death and grabs a boom box, walks out, and a young lady walks in with a very big 80s poofy skirt and uh, is basically witness to this dead body. She's witness to seeing Miller walking away. So that happens. Now, Agent Gallagher and Detective Beck come to investigate And Agent Gallagher, at this point, has a photo in his pocket of Miller, and he's questioning the girl, but he doesn't pull the photo out in that moment and just make a positive photo ID right there. Gallagher knows it's Miller, and he doesn't pull the photo and go, was this the guy that you saw? Just to make sure, right then and there.
0: I know. I kept thinking that too. I was like, "Oh, did he not take the picture? Why is no, that No, it's right the...
1: because in the scene previous to that, Beck had put the photo into his pocket. Because uh, let me back up. The scene before that, Gallagher says, "This is the other guy at the hospital. This is probably the you know this is the guy we're looking for. This is the next one." And Beck is saying. I don't believe you, you don't know what you're talking about. We don't need to be looking for that guy because he doesn't understand what's happening. So he takes the photo and just puts it back into Gallagher's pocket, in his coat pocket. And then the following scene, when they're investigating the crime scene, talking to the witness, the young girl, I was like, dude, just pull out your photo and be like, this is the guy that you saw, right? And she could say, yeah. And he'd be like, yep, see, Beck, I told you, it's this guy, but he doesn't. It waits. They wait till the following scene when they're back at the police precinct and the girl is also there at the precinct having the artist draw up a police sketch. And then they look at the sketch and then pull out the photo and go, see, it's the same guy. This is Miller, Jonathan Miller. This is the guy we need to be chasing. It was just weird. I was like, you got the photo in your pocket. Just
0: I know you could you could have saved yourself 15 minutes and had yeah. started after. It was
1: just weird. I was like, why didn't he? I don't know. I didn't know what was going yeah,
0: on. I agree too. I thought that was a little awkward
1: myself. And then later on, Miller. Now, uh, with the parasite, we talked about how he drives up and hits up on the girls, and that doesn't go very well. But before that, in order to get that Ferrari, he went to that luxury car dealership uh, to steal that Ferrari. Uh, he, kill, he kills the salesman, the security guard, and the buyer of the Ferrari. My question is why did he lift that guy's wallet? Like he took the guy's, I'm assuming it was the guy who was buying the Ferrari, he lifts, he steals right. that guy's wallet. And now he's driving around in the dude's Ferrari after he just murdered a bunch of people at the car dealership. Driving the Ferrari around, pulls out the wallet, finds a, like a business card for a place called Anchor Imports, goes to the store, finds that store, drives up, pulls up to Anchor Imports, goes inside, stumbles around, throws some shit around, and finds in the back room a whole stash of automatic weapons. Yes. The whole thing just was like a little random to me. I'm like, what is going on here? what yeah it was just kind of like a little convenient that he just like oh i'm gonna look in this wallet and see what this guy has oh there's an import store and they're in the in that same wallet is also the business card for the uh harem room the strip joint right that's where he goes next afterward
0: yeah because initially i thought he was going to the what was the first place called? sorry
1: Oh, Anchor Imports?
0: Yeah. Initially, I thought he was going to the imports place to find a new host because he knew at that point, you know, he was mm. pretty much used this one up. And then when he goes there and doesn't find anything, you're like, oh, okay. And then you find out it's a front for an arms dealer, hence why this guy's called this money to buy a Ferrari.
1: Oh, that's why I didn't really put that together. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, basically, the guy's a good gun runner. But yeah, why he went there to begin with, I it was like, why is he looking at business cards and going to these places? But I initially thought he was just going to find another host.
1: Okay, that works. Yeah. It just there was seemed to if there's a randomness, it felt like to it all. But yeah, I, I, the way you you framed it made sense.
0: But it's funny too, because at the beginning he robs the bank for money. He never buys anything, he just steals everything. So what are you stealing money for? You're just gonna take whatever you want. He could have bought the
1: radio or he could have bought the cassettes, but instead he just steals them. He's just like stealing them. Well, I, you know, you kind of justified a lot of this in the beginning, Bill, which really helped me because my next complaint was still regarding Miller in this way, like, do these bad aliens, do they have a taste for human women? Because he tried to pick up the ladies in the Ferrari, then he goes to the strip club. These are questions that we don't have answers to. And they're kind of interesting, but they're still a little frustrating in moments where like, why is this alien interested in picking up women? Is it to have sex or is it just to take over the another host and see? And also, I think you kind of answered, or it works for me, what you were saying earlier is that he's just being indulgent. Yes. Gluttonous. Like he's just wants to, this evil alien just wants to experience all things all the time.
0: Yeah. He's a product of the, you know, the
1: excess of the eighties. That's what he is. He's, exactly. Los Angeles, 1987. He just wants sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I did think about that. I was like, God, imagine if he did
0: do some of that blow, right? You know, like I said, he's a different species in Gallagher and we see how Gallagher reacts to half a bottle of beer. I was like, Oh my God, if he sniffs some of that, God
1: knows what he'd be doing at that point. Oh my God. Right. That's, I mean, yeah. (laughs) So that's great. So that was my initial complaint. like, was that, why is this alien wanting to pick up human women? Like, why would this alien be attracted to women? But it's not, about that necessarily it's just about experiencing all things as a human being because it's a fun joy ride is what is what you said earlier so Mm -hmm. that's something to think about but this then speak i'm just i'm all about miller right now but this goes back to something i mentioned earlier uh right after i did the what's on the box segment is that miller when he goes to the strip joint he's sitting at the bar uh, oh i know He's bleeding all over the bar. There's a, an open bag of automatic weapons sitting next to his stool. And the bartender comes up to him and just says, Hey, man, you okay? You're looking a little pasty. And then leaves him alone. What's going on?
0: I thought the same thing too. But now when you're saying it, then I was like, All right, I've been in those types of establishments and they're pretty dark. Right. <laughs> So there's a positive because I'm like, man, he's bleeding like bad. It's like it's like it's pooling on the bar right in,
1: right in front of his beer glass.
0: Yeah. How did he not see that? But I'm like, if you're in an actual establishment, the lighting in that it is so freaking dark in there. You can't see more than six inches in front of you. So I'm like, all right, maybe he didn't see the blood.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Or and if maybe he did, he just the he had spilled his beer. Like because on those yeah. bars, there's a lot of liquid all over the place. Right. There's a lot of spillage.
0: But there's no way he gets that bag of guns in because all of them have bouncers. There's no way they're letting the bag in. I was like, the bleeding out, I can kind of see get by. But no, giant orange duffel bag of weapons, that's not getting inside.
1: See, now I was going to say if he had gone in with a trench coat like DeVries and had a shotgun under his trench coat, but then you know who would have sniffed that out right away. Oh, that's true. Because once again, it would have been fault.
0: Yes, because he would have been there with Rose.
1: Do you have more complaints?
0: My only complaint is I felt bad for the prisoners down in Holding when Masterson basically blew up the Holding cells and no one's there to help them. I just felt warm.
1: I had mentioned the car chase with the Gallagher and Beck in the Porsche chasing Brenda and her car. And uh, she crashes into the window display of the department store and Beck and Gallagher get out and they go up against the wall with their guns drawn. And they have this whole little conversation where Beck says, Hey, you go, I'll cover you. And Gallagher says, I'd be safer if you don't. And then they have this back and forth of like, do you want to be covered? Do you want me to cover you? Or you don't want me to cover you? And I'm going, hey, guys, maybe the the stripper, the killer that's in the car wouldn't have escaped if you guys wouldn't have had this little back and forth for five minutes. Maybe you should be paying attention to just getting into the car to see if Brenda's still in there and apprehending her. That was just kind of funny to me. Then they go around the corner, Finally, It's like, okay, yeah, just cover me. And they go around and then go to the window of the car that's crashed into the display. And lo and behold, she's gone. I'm yes. like, yeah, no shit, Sherlock, because you guys were having a conversation for five minutes outside, whether or not he should cover you or not.
0: That is good, but I'll preface it with, in the car chase that happens before that, Beck is trying to shoot the tires of the car and totally missing. And Gallagher's like, hey, why don't you shoot the tires? And Beck's like, right. I've been trying. Right. Yeah. Why don't you do it? And Gallagher, who was driving the Porsche, right. sticks his head out the window and starts shooting at the tires himself and hits one awesome of the third shot so i think that's why gallagher just said if you're going to cover me you're just going to miss her anyway so i don't i don't need your help so there's a little bit of comedy in it but you're right it's now the host is getting parasite brenda is getting away right because of their little repartee
1: i just thought it was funny that's all i got for complaints, man
0: all right, so right let's move on to hey it's that actor so this segment we spotlight a Character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. So as Jason and I said at the top of the podcast, there are tons and tons of Hey, It's That Actor. And I was like, oh, please, 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 that Jason and I do not have the same one. So there's the, here there's I'm going to go first because Jason usually has a backup. I'm, I'm not that smart. I'm not that prepared to have a backup. So my Hey, It's That Actor... Is Branscombe Richmond as Officer Roberts? Oh my god! <laughs> you don't even know who he is. Okay, cool. So poor Branscombe—he's in the movie for maybe thirty seconds, where he gets killed right away by uh, Lieutenant Matherson. When Matherson's taken back down the hallway, and that cop comes out and is like, "Hey, what's going on?" Right. Matherson sh- turns and shoots. Yeah, that. Co- oh, yeah. So that's that's Branscombe Richmond. So he was at the wrong place at the wrong time in this movie. And uh, so he's a Native American, uh, part Polynesian actor. Okay. Uh, We have seen his ass kicked by the best in the 80s. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando, Carl Weathers in Action Jackson, and Timothy Dalton in License to Kill. Um, His most famous role might have been in the early 90s TV series Renegade with Lorenzo Lamas. Yeah. Um, He's also a singer, and the name of his band is Bransom, Richmond, and the Renegade
1: Posse. Oh, my God. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, but that is incredible.
0: Yeah. As soon as I saw him, I recognized. I was like, he, I think he was the third one that I, at that point, went, holy shit. Yeah. It's, it's that actor. <laughs> well, he's, he has a
1: great moment. Yep. He gets his ass kicked well or yeah. shot well. Obviously, a stunt guy. Yeah, he does stunts, too. Good good pull man. I don't I don't even want to try and say that guy's name. Branscom.
0: Branscom? Yes, Branscombe? Yes, B R A N S C O M B E. Richmond.
1: Good stuff man. Good old Branscom. For me the, the, I, yeah, uh so we do not have the same hey right. it's that actor. Woo-hoo. The the hey it's that actor that I went with is Jack McGee. He plays the bartender at the harem room one oh bartender yes that yes comes yes, yes. miller and says hey uh you sure you're okay buddy you're looking a little pasty there and i'm like hey it's that guy it's that actor yes immediately immediately as i saw him and heard his voice i went straight to lethal weapon 2 where he is credited as the carpenter and i looked up the quote because i wanted to get the quote right from lethal weapon 2 and his character's name in Lethal Weapon 2 is actually, he's credited as Carpenter, but his character's name is Mickey McGee, which is funny oh. because the actor's name is Jack McGee. Anyway, so he is the Carpenter of Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, you may recall from the plot in that uh, there's an addition or uh, some repairs being made to Murtaugh's house and uh, Carpenter's working on that. But the Murtaugh family, including Martin Riggs, is gathering around the living room to watch Rianne. Uh, the daughter, uh, Rianne Murtaugh, who uh, had starred in a commercial, and they're watching uh, yes, the commercial. It's yes, a good one. It's a hilarious scene. It's wonderful uh-huh. because they're like, "Oh, our daughter is going to be on TV." Let's and the commercial's airing, and we're all going to gather around and see the uh, premiere of this commercial. And Rianne is like, "Yeah, let's get." So they gather around, and the commercial is a condom commercial, which embarrasses the entire family, except for Rianne and her boyfriend, who's proud of her and stuff. And who's standing there, who happens to have come into the room in the background to watch the commercial with the family is the carpenter played by Jack McGee. And Riggs is trying to make light of it because everybody's embarrassed. And Riggs is like, "Ah, it wasn't that bad, Raj. You know, it was pretty good. And there's Jack McGee who says, yeah, I liked it. She made me want to go out and buy rubbers right now. <laughs> so oh, great i uh, love that ah so funny lethal weapon 2 can't wait to do that one on this podcast so he was credited as the carpenter lethal weapon 2 he was also credited as the or i'm sorry he was actually uncredited as the carpenter lethal weapon three so he's in that one too oh wow and funny enough a year before lethal weapon 2 in 1988 he was in Scrooged guess what he was credited as in Scrooged carpenter oh she carpenter and scrooged this guy made a living as a carpenter in movies there you go so jack mcgee was it was my hey it's that actor i did have some backups we had talked about those poor prisoners of course in the police precinct yes and what a wonderful wonderful cameo a young danny trejo and he gets blown away. I mean, yeah, he's in this short, yeah,
0: he's in there short-lived. less time than, than Branscom's is.
1: Literally and figuratively short-lived.
0: Yeah, between the two of them, they have about 40, 40 seconds screen time.
1: Branscom and Danny. Yes. Yeah. Masterson took care of both of them. Uh, just because we had already done this film on the All 80s Movies podcast, I'm going to give a little shout out to Dwayne Davis, who plays Eddie, the bouncer. It's like, he's like the bouncer, but he's like the security at the car dealership. He was Jerome from summer school. Yes. Lots and of lots. Of, the list goes on and on.
0: All right. So let's move on to facts and trivia. Yes. So what do we got?
1: I've only got a few things here, man. And okay. uh, so this should be quick, at least on my behalf. Uh, Michael Nury, who played Detective Beck. Speaking of lethal weapon, according to the IMDb research, Michael Nouri turned down the role of Martin Riggs in lethal weapon, which is this same year, 1987 which was also set in Los Angeles and also a buddy cop film. And as we know, the role went to Mel Gibson. The rest is history there. Could not see that. Uh, No, he turned it down. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he had his reasons. Yep. Thank you. That that that. is true.
0: Um, So the scene of the alien swapping from host to host was done with stop motion animation. That was pretty good.
1: That was good. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's a quick scene, it's a gross scene, but yeah, it's effective. And they, it looks there's good. some,
1: you know, they do a little fancy editing there. They
0: cut around yeah. it and stuff, yeah. but it's still, it's still it's, cool. Yeah, it's pretty smooth. I would have to
1: say it's, it's impressive. So we've mentioned the gross tentacles that you see Oh yeah, flopping around, but there's one quick scene with Miller again, where the tentacles are busting through his forearm. Oh, yeah. And supposedly that featured sound effects from the film The Thing from 1982, they were using some old sound effects.
0: Yeah, and it kind of does have that thing kind of vibe to it where oh, yeah, the creature would be is. busting out of people.
1: Um, so supposedly the r-
0: original ending of The Hidden was uh, the alien would have gotten away. Right. So that made you wonder, like that. would he have done become president and maybe dominated the world? Some might say he did. Yes, that's, that's true. Okay. Recently. Yeah.
1: Oh, what wah, political wah. humor. Hey, let's talk about Brenda the Stripper. Yes. So played by the beautiful Claudia Christian. Uh, she likes to tell a couple of stories about her experiences in this film. First was the design of her wardrobe. For some reason, and I totally disagree with this, but the producers found her breasts visually inadequate. Uh, so they designed her costumes to emphasize uh not her breasts, but her what what are they built? Her butt cheeks. Oh, yes. Now, the second story was an eye injury she sustained. The material exploding from a prop gun had scratched her cornea. And because of this, well, Claudia Christian would go on to star on the cult classic television show television series Babylon 5. And so when she was on Babylon 5 and ever, you know, whenever she had to fire a prop gun on that show, she would instinctively turn her face away when pulling the trigger, even though that was completely unnecessary because on Babylon 5, the prop guns didn't really fire. All the visual effects were added later. Did you watch Babylon 5? I only made one very brief and inadequate attempt to get into it, but I know it has a huge following. Yeah. I never watched it. I always, you know what my, earliest memory of Babylon five is going to the grocery store and constantly seeing it on the cover of some sort of trade magazine. And probably oh, okay. it was, probably it was probably some sci-fi magazine, but like, you know, when you're just standing in line, check out line at grocery store and you're looking over the magazines next to the gum. It was always like on the cover of TV guide or whatever it was back in the day.
0: Yeah. It was one of those shows. I was always like, Oh my God, this show's still in the air. Like I didn't yeah. know anything about it. I didn't know anybody that watched it, but it just always seemed to be on. So kudos to them. Yeah, it has a huge cult following. So the film was written by Bob Hunt, if you, uh, in the credits. But Bob Hunt was the pen name for writer, producer, director, Jim Coff. Um Jim also wrote Stakeout, Disorganized Crime, and Rush Hour. And yeah, Stakeout is definitely an 80s movies we have to do at some point. And disorganized crime would fall under my hidden gems.
1: Cool. Sure. Well, I have no more fun facts or trivia. So I don't know if you have anything else. If you do, go for it.
0: Yep. I just have one last one. So uh, director Jack Shoulder is probably most famous for being the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, the movie that saved New Line Cinema, even though it is not loved by critics or fans at the time it become a cult classic uh, because of its uh, sexual undertones throughout the film. People think of it as like a coming out movie for the main character oh, okay. and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's all, it's all that kind of oh, stuff. Absolutely. So All right, so let's move on to box office. Um, so the The Hidden was released on October 30th, 1987. On an estimated budget of 5 million dollars, it grossed 9.7 million dollars. It debuted number 6 at the box office and only stayed in the top 10 For one more week so it did not do that great so moving on to reviews when growing up in the early 80s we loved catching sneak previews with gene siskel and roger ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies their review of the hidden was unanimous two thumbs up the hidden was featured in a special episode entitled hidden horrors in which gene and roger promoted little scene horror films that they admired and hoped to help find a wider audience Gene found the film exciting and enjoyed Kyle McLaughlin's performance. Roger found the movie thrilling, funny, and thoughtful.
1: Total agreement. Well done. Well done.
0: So uh, let's move on to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions that we have about The Hidden? I know most of them we kind of asked.
1: We did. We covered most of this. So this should also be pretty quick. You know what? I was just going over a list in my mind, and maybe you can add to this of buddy cop, sci-fi movies or television shows. So help me out if you'd like, because I had come up with alien nation. That's the first one that that's my head. yeah. We have James Kahn and Mandy Patinkin. Uh, and they're great in it. I I'm a fan of that movie personally yes, me too. I, I always have been. And then they did that. That lasted for a while. The TV series. Too. Yeah. it was on for a couple of seasons. Yeah. Different stars, but, uh, Men in Black. You got okay. Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, there was also R.I.P.D., uh, which was oh, Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges, right? Yes, that was awful. Yeah, it, didn't, it wasn't entirely successful. Regarding TV shows, you know what I put in this category of buddy cop sci-fi? Battlestar Galactica. I think of Apollo and Starbuck as buddy cops.
0: <laughs> the
1: new one or the old one? The old one. Is okay. Of, yeah. And then yeah, as I mentioned earlier, RoboCop. I think of like Murphy and Lewis, you know, Alex Murphy and Lewis. Yeah.
0: That would fall under
1: buddy it. cops in a sci-fi genre. I don't know it's kind of a it's a cool genre. So I was thinking maybe bill you and I what we need to write is uh something in this cross genre. And I I'd like to just simply call it space cops.
0: Space cops, space cop. What you got? But, yeah, I didn't <laughs>
1: Uh, They just pull over aliens Yeah, so I didn't know If you could come up with any other Examples of that cross-genre The buddy cop slash sci-fi movie
0: Uh, Yeah, see, because the first one that Jumped in my head was Alien Nation
1: Yeah, but this is one for the audience Too, please uh, chime in Tweet us
0: Could you say aliens versus cowboys?
1: You know, I thought of that But I'm trying to think With I guess technically Daniel Craig and Harrison Ford Do team up with a little space technology, Cowboys versus Aliens. Yeah, does it count as a buddy? Yeah, that's movie, true. it's true. Really it's a little more ensemble. There's a bunch of them. I think I try. I watched a little bit of that recently. There's some good stuff in there.
0: Yeah, there's, oh, there's John much Favreau, out there.
1: directed. Yeah. So I don't know, something to think about. But yeah, we'd already covered the. You know, my big question really was: Should this be a series? Could it be? I think if this would could be made into a really cool series. It would have to be really cleverly done, though, smartly done to not give away too much too soon to keep the audience's attention, I think, uh, yeah. to keep the mystery of it all. But it could be done. Maybe a limited series type of thing. Because I definitely would... Because, again, what what more would you want to know about these aliens? And there's so much more.
0: Yeah, because it's like, how many planets has Gallagher been chasing him through? How did they even get to Earth?
1: How do these different species react within their hosts? What different powers do they have? Yeah. What is their purpose? Yeah. What is their history? You know, how did they, you know, like you said, they crossed paths at some point. Does the evil alien have a purpose at all besides just running from planet to planet and indulging itself? And Many questions. Yeah. Yeah. Many questions. Cool. Good stuff, though. Yeah. Oh, so I,
0: I have to do a, a shout out for my favorite exchange conversation exchange in here when uh there's a scene where tom beck says a gallagher i want to ask you if i'm crazy or does this seem a little bizarre and like yeah it's a little bizarre and yeah. that comes back with i knew that i just wanted to make sure if you
1: knew that <laughs> that was great i there's there are a couple but now that i think about it, there are some moments of levity in this really yeah. you know i mentioned at the top that it's pretty dark and gritty but it's there are moments of levity there's another great little exchange they have in the in the porsche when uh beck says how'd you get this car how much was it he's like i don't know he's like would you steal it like "Yep, yeah, i did <laughs> yeah yes honest yeah and he was telling the truth he had stolen it and he's like then the exchange goes on and he's like what are you a mind reader it's like yes i am so like, what am i thinking right now that i'm full of shit yeah that's pretty good uh you know it's like and that also was like, oh, right. That's oh, wait a minute,
0: maybe thinking about the daughter. Is
1: this alien species like the good alien? Kyle McLaughlin's character does he can he does he have an ability to read minds? Like some kind like he is that another one of his abilities or powers? Or I don't know. Did you see there was a sequel to this? Yeah, yeah, we didn't mention that straight to video. Oh yeah, didn't too i I've never seen it. I didn't know of it.
0: I watched the trailer, and it was one of those. And there's there is more special effects in the trailer than there's all of the hidden. And it was one of those I kind of thought, did I see this and completely forget about it? Or I, I I was I'm not even sure. I'm not sure if I did see it or not, just because I saw the first one. Because I'm usually if I if the sequel comes out, I'll try to see it, no matter how bad it is. Yeah. But the actress looked familiar.
1: And it looked gotcha. a little familiar,
0: but yeah, if you put a gun to my head, I couldn't honestly say if I had seen it or not. That's how god-awful it must have been.
1: Yep. I don't know. I don't really have any interest, but I would like to see a series. Yeah, so if they make the series, they'll
0: just... What is it when they just wipe out the canon? Right.
1: Uh, was that it? for I, That's all I have for, really for additional thoughts and questions, man. I mean, right, we just yeah. really kind of covered it all.
0: All right, so let's move on to a uh, recommendation. What is our recommendation of The Hidden? The
1: Hidden from nineteen eighty seven, should no longer remain hidden; should be exposed to everyone. I heavily recommend this film. Watch it. It is a cult classic. It is a cult favorite of mine, for sure. I, I really did want to do this and for this podcast and revisit. I am glad we did, Bill. And I appreciate your insight and observations. Very keen and astute. And uh, yeah, this is it's it's a cool. Like I said, it's just the blending of genres. Uh, I love this setting. I love these actors. Michael Nouri and Kyle McLaughlin, I think, work great together. There was some concern with the casting. There was some research that I did not mention in the facts and trivia that they, I think, didn't cast Kyle McLaughlin until about seven days before shooting. And they were concerned with, I think, his look and Michael Newry's look. But then they ended up uh, having great chemistry. And uh, I think they work as a buddy cop team. So the buddy cop Genre works in full effect in this movie. The sci-fi aspect remains mostly a mystery, as Bill alluded to, but makes it more fascinating. You always want to know more. And this is a, a fun thriller, uh, some great car chases, and it's you know, some great uh, creepy effects. Uh, what else can I say? But it's a, a bit of a yeah fun roller coaster ride. And if you're a fan of, yeah, either genre, I think you'd enjoy this movie. I, again, categorize it like as a, a really solid B-plus movie. It, I don't wouldn't put it quite as a, a B-movie because it's just deftly crafted and handled by the director, writer, actress, as I said, and it's well-paced and intense. And yeah, so that's it. I recommend it. I, this, I still love this movie, and I still think uh, a lot of it holds up but mostly it's just entertaining it's a fun buddy cop sci-fi that's what i got how about you bill
0: yeah i would say the hidden is a hidden gem and after i finished watching it for this podcast and like i said it was only the second time i see it. i was like why have i not watched this movie more yeah i was like if the first five minutes of this movie did not grab you then just shut it off because it, it really gets you into this movie you really want to see what happens from there on and i think it does carry you through to the end of the film and it's it's just clever of how you know it's a low budget film it's supposed to be a science fiction film it's supposed to be a horror film and they do all this without doing a lot of sci-fi without doing the horror tropes is you know you're we've mentioned a couple times the invasion of the body snatcher kind of premise that's sure where where it comes from Uh, but there is it's a new little wrinkle on it yeah, I think it's a movie a lot of people miss. It's a movie, unfortunately, they do not put on TV enough or cable enough, uh, so people can can find this movie. If you if you grew up in the '80s and you miss this, definitely check it out. Um, right, it's it definitely fits that '80s movie mold. Um, and if you're someone who's never seen or heard it before, I would definitely give it a shot. Um, it just you know it's an '80s film, so expect. 80s type things from it yeah i i was i was surprised how much i enjoyed watching it again and uh i hope i do watch it a couple more times again in the future
1: well said man and you nailed it i'm just gonna tack on and add on or uh, build upon what you said with, about it being a great 80s movie that's i'll just say this if you're a fan of 80s movies you will most likely enjoy this it really is a good 80s movie It really fits that genre and it would be a trip down memory lane or very nostalgic for you. If you're a fan of eighties movies, that's all I can say probably hopefully while you're listening to this podcast. So I guess that would make sense. There you go.
0: All right. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening next week. We'll be discussing the 1986 horror mystery movie April fool's day will be releasing on April Fool's Day. The movie stars Deborah Foreman, Tom Wilson, Deborah Goodrich, Ken Oland, and Clayton Rohner. All actors we have discussed in past podcasts. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcasts at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, at all 80 smoviespodcast or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone.
1: Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.